0: Hello, and welcome to Skynet today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what's just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode, in which you get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about this news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week. We'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our takes.
1: Hello, this is Daniel Bashir here with our weekly news summary. This week, we'll discuss the EU's recent AI laws, a Tesla crash, a new algorithm for evaluating drug combinations, and AI's use in the COVID vaccine rollout. On Friday, April 16th, a group of European lawmakers called for the EU to ban AI systems that detect or label people according to gender or sexuality, saying the technology could be abused. As Reuters reports, the draft rules announced by the EU include rights safeguards and curbs on facial recognition, but not this specific provision. Alexander Gies, who drafted an open letter signed by 33 others, said the potential harm of these applications outweighs their benefits, that there is no need for technology to make decisions about who is male, female, straight, gay, or otherwise. The EU Commission presented its draft rules on April 21st which included curbs on technologies for hiring and policing. On April 18th, two men died after a fiery crash in a Tesla Model S. As The Verge reports, the car was driving at a high speed and failed to make a turn, driving into a tree. Neither of the two men were actually driving the car, and it's unclear whether the car had its autopilot system activated. While there have been at least 23 autopilot-related crashes under investigation, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, this appears to be the first fatal one where no one was in the driver's seat. Tesla has cautioned drivers that its autopilot system is not an autonomous driving system, although CEO Elon Musk has rejected calls to add better safety monitoring. According to Fierce Biotech, Facebook AI and the German Research Center built an open-source model to predict how effective particular drug combinations and dosages can be in treating complex diseases. The Compositional Perturbation Autoencoder, or CPA, solves a difficult problem. The number of possibilities for such drug combinations and dosages can accelerate into the billions. The model predicts how the drugs interact with one another and how they might work together to attack specific cell types and interrupt diseases. Facebook claims this is the first single AI model to predict the effects of drug combinations and dosages but several other AI developers, such as Notable Labs, have produced similar models. Finally, as millions across the world have started receiving their COVID-19 vaccines, some health experts have said AI will be integral for both the process of creating boosters for COVID variants and distribution of the vaccine. As Tech Republic writes, an AI system could aid distribution by understanding which populations to target to curve the pandemic sooner adjusting supply chain and distribution logistics to ensure that most people get vaccinated in as little time as possible, and tracking adverse reactions. Matthew Putnam, CEO of Nanotronics, added that an AI system could help to build actionable data sets that allow doctors to examine root causes and other things researchers don't have time to spend on. That's all for this week's news roundup, stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events.
0: Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had a summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a more laid-back discussion about this news by two AI researchers. I'm Dr. Sharon Zhou, a graduating fourth-year PhD student in the Machine Learning Group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models and applying machine learning to medicine and climate. And with me is my co-host.
2: I am Andrei Krenkov, a third-year PhD student and hopefully soon enough doctor. Currently at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab, I focus on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation and reinforcement learning. And uh, let's just go ahead and dive straight in, as we do usually, into our news stories. First up, we have... uh, Stories from Business Insider and also finance uh, at yahoo.com, uh, which are all about this um, Einstein chatbot that has a voice thanks to an audio cloning startup. So there's this company called Alpha Rhythmic that, uh, in collaboration with some other people, has created this. Digital version of Albert Einstein that has a synthesized voice that sounds like you know a famous scientist, and uh, you can also talk to you know a version that looks like him with um, more of a just traditional uh, computer graphics rendering of him, which is a, a pretty high resolution. And that's courtesy of a, another company, uh, Unique. Uh, that is also hosting the interactive chatbot. So you can actually go to this uh, URL, Einstein.digitalhumans.com, and have some fun talking to this uh, chatbot. Uh, yeah, so there, there's kind of the summary. Um, I tried it for a bit, and it was neat, you know, but also nothing too surprising, I suppose, uh, given where the technology has been. It seems like the chatbot technology itself was not that advanced, it was a bit more scripted. Uh, but you know, definitely a cute application and, uh, I guess, a good demo for these companies. Uh, what do you uh, think about this, Sharon?
0: Yes, I think it's um, a nice kind of splash like you're uh, suggesting here, but it, it definitely isn't new. It's hooking up together these APIs to make it work. Uh, um, but it is a cool um, little demo um, that uh, is being shown here. And I think what's interesting is that this Af- uh company is kind of all about hooking together these APIs. Um, and uh, Unique has, or uniq or something, has been working on creating um, these digital avatars or digital humans um, and that you can have this chatbot-like conversation with. And so it is interesting to see these um, kind of uh, show up on the fold. And, um, and, and yeah, it's cool to see one from New Zealand as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I looked it up uh, just out of curiosity. And this company, AfloRhythmic, Looks like it's gotten um, some funding, uh, 1.3 million, for this AI-driven uh, personalized audio as a service. So their whole thing is you provide text, and then they use AI to uh, generate, uh, you know, audio samples with this kind of voice cloning. Uh, what they call ethical voice cloning, and they also do audio mastering and other sort of uh, audio as a service stuff. So. Um, yeah, kind of a, a cute demo and, and another case, I think, of a demonstration of AI being commercialized and being applied to actually useful things. So I think we've, we've seen a lot of different applications. We've discussed a lot about um, visual deep fakes and, you know, m- different models and so on. And it's neat to see something in the audio space, which I don't think we've discussed as much.
0: Right. And still on the speech and audio space, but onto a more serious topic, our next article is titled, Can Medical Alexas Make Us Healthier? From the New York Times. And so this is a big push uh, by Amazon, as well as other big tech companies like Google and Microsoft, to basically use voice recognition programs to identify signs of illness and disease. So basically being able to hear or, or listen to, you know, what's going on with uh, with you medically and then be able to take that to the next level uh, and make you feel better or be able to help you uh, navigate this healthcare system, which uh, we know is very expensive in America and often, unfortunately, ineffective at the same time. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on this, Andre? Yeah,
2: yeah. Um... As I was just saying, it's it's cool to see more signs of where AI is being applied. And, and this is another example, I think for me, one of the more exciting examples in the sense that you know, here AI is actually making uh, an impact in the real world, an impact in people's lives. It's not just some sort of consumerism or media, but, you know, it's actually uh Part of healthcare. And uh, this one is interesting. Uh, this article, I think, was prompted by Microsoft uh, acquiring this company, Nuance, for $20 billion. <laughs> so obviously, this uh, market is, is clearly big. Um, and this, I think, the idea here is, as noted in the title, is uh, this is kind of a, a Siri-esque system for. Um, taking notes uh, for doctors and, you know, making requests. Um, And it it seems like it also helps clinicians, uh, you know, capture patient records, integrate them into electronic health records and uh, also combine it into which teams chat app for telehealth appointments. So, you know, quite technical, certainly deep into the weeds of this uh, market. Um, But Yeah, I think another kind of developing uh, area in AI maturing sector, something that over the next decade, we'll probably just see everywhere, it seems like, which is exciting.
0: I'm optimistic to see it. Actually, I heard someone who did a trial with um, one of Amazon's kind of Uber for health type things, and they completed care within 15 minutes of wanting care, which is crazy. Uh, So they got nurse and a, and a doctor to drive to them as the nurse was video conferencing her. And then uh, had a chat with the doctor for five minutes and got the right medication and felt better. I was like, that is insane. <laughs> uh, and that I hope is the future. I mean, it's heavily subsidized now, but I think I can imagine that being the future. And regarding this currently, uh, Nuance is, uh, has been a very old company. I think 1992 is when it was started, and it's already a public company. Um, and so the fact that Microsoft is acquiring, acquiring it now means probably that they really want to develop uh, this forward, because that's a very mature technology, or at least one that Nuance has been working on for a really long time. I remember even before when speech was good at all in neural networks or anything, Nuance was, was there um, and, and being the leader of that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and certainly this is an industry where I think AI is needed, you know, in the sense that, especially in the United States, we know that healthcare is a nightmare, you know, things take too long, things cost too much, there's uh, inefficiencies, there's bureaucracy. So, It's a huge challenge to really improve the system, but the technology, I think, will have a part to play. Uh, We've discussed in the past also other efforts such as using actual robots to uh, do the jobs or do some of the work that nurses do, uh, take care of some of the uh, less interesting work of just carrying stuff, uh, delivering things, so yeah, I think uh, it's, it's interesting to see all these efforts and kind of interesting how quickly they can get integrated and hopefully improve things. And uh, on to another, I think, exciting application of AI uh, that's a bit different. Here we have this article from uh, actually the Duke the University about how AI pinpoints local pollution hotspots using satellite images. So, uh, it's all about how researchers at Duke University have developed a method that uses machine learning and satellite imagery and weather data to autonomously find hotspots of heavy air pollution, uh, city block by city block. So, um, before now, it says that researchers trying to measure the distribution of air pollutants throughout the city would either try to use a limited number of existing monitors or drive sensors around a city in vehicles. But of course, um, setting up sensor networks is uh, time consuming and costly. And driving a sensor around uh, is kind of maybe not as informative. So at least according to this press release, uh, being able to find local hotspots of air pollution in this way is uh, hugely advantageous. Uh, Yeah. So uh, what is your impression of this, Sharon?
0: Yeah, it's very exciting. I think we can leverage satellite imagery for a lot of things like this, where we don't have sensors everywhere. It really um, speaks to, I think, a lot of research in the field intersecting AI and climate, uh, which I've obviously worked on, but we've also done it for, you know, uh, thought about it for methane, for, um, uh, for finding uh, clean, clean energy. So like solar, where to put solar PVs or where solar PVs are as well as wind turbines, um, and here, um, I think it makes a lot of sense in the technique, the algorithm specifically is uh, using weather data and also the satellite imagery together to figure out you know, um, <clears throat> what, what, is, like, what are some of those um, differences between uh, that information and the actual levels of the particular matter that they are looking for um, from the real sensors and then being able to generalize um, more spatially. So I think it's exciting. And um, I hope this is used more and more since satellite imagery is becoming more and more ubiquitous.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting to see also in this press release, it mentions that uh, the team has uh, improved their method and actually applied it in Delhi. And uh, they're able to find hotspots and cool spots of pollution with a resolution of 300 meters. So it seems like this technique is certainly evolving. And as you said, uh, in general, uh, there's a lot of work on you, uh, finding uh, different pieces of information using satellite imagery. Uh, there's also a lot of work on uh, using the sort of data for farming and for other applications. And it's another area where maybe it's less sexy and that less uh, popularly discussed and some like deep fakes. But it's uh, probably a high impact uh, area to apply AI in and somewhere where AI tools really do make a big difference.
0: And onto an article that is trying to power a lot of our AI tools. Uh, the next article is from IEEE Spectrum titled, cerebrus' new monster AI chip adds 1.4 trillion transistors. And so Cerebra Systems is known for uh, building huge monster computer chips in basically a, a single computer chip uh, and uh, really showcasing that to the world for deep learning specifically. Uh, so specifically for neural networks. And they had uh, previously announced something that was quite spectacular at the time. It was a a relatively small chip for how much it had. And I think now it's an even more ambitious project with adding 1.4 trillion transistors uh, to this uh, this basically uh, newest chip. Um, What are your thoughts on this and kind of um, the, I guess, the hardware acceleration that we're seeing also uh, in deep learning?
2: Yeah, um, I guess we're on a bit of a streak on uh, discussing different aspects, kind of powering AI or applications of AI. Um, this has definitely been an area that, as AI has gotten big and you know has been applied and uh, deployed for many applications, uh, it's gotten more and more important. So, famously, Google has their TPUs, uh, tensor processing units that. Uh, are you know uh, now pretty mature they're deployed they are being used uh, everywhere i think facebook also has their own custom server as well for deep learning and uh, other things and Cerebrus has been at this problem for uh, at least half a decade half a decade i think and they have a really powerful kind of approach to it in terms of making a fully custom chip specifically for neural networks that, you know, are are just massively powerful. Right. In terms of this transistor count. Um, It is interesting, I think, with Cerebrus that um, so far I haven't heard too much about them actually being uh, adopted by companies, at least compared to something like nvidia's dgx or uh you know the powerful computing uh, from nvidia in particular so yeah i'll be curious to see this space and and how common it'll be to utilize this sort of more um custom technology that may be a bit harder to develop with but might be better for deploying um and, and yeah, certainly it's interesting to see it being so impressive now, you know, so so developed.
0: I think uh, if it can help with Bitcoin mining, it'll certainly be taken up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but uh, I do think uh, it will be taken up given the, I mean, there is a shortage of GPUs, right? So uh, it, I can see it being, being adopted. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it would be cool to see how they do in the market compared to compared to everything that's out there now. Because I, I do see a lot of companies working on their own hardware and um, trying to gain some independence from NVIDIA.
2: Yeah, and uh, just to compare, I think the number of transistors is maybe a bit abstract. So to be more explicit, uh, compared to NVIDIA's uh, A100 Uh, GPU, that one has around 50 billion uh, transistors, has around 7000 cores, has 40 megabytes of on-chip memory. And this new chip, as we said, has 2.6 trillion transistors compared to 50 billion, has 850,000 cores compared to seven thousand and has 40 gigabytes of on chip memory compared to 40 megabytes so you know uh, really really out there numbers gigantic so um yeah pretty cool and then uh, actually this article also uh, lists a few customers uh, like the Lawrence Livermore National Lab, which is integrated into the eighth most powerful supercomputer for fusion simulation and cognitive simulation. There's also a Pittsburgh Supercomputer Center and um, yeah, various uh, kind of labs and parallel computing applications. So. Yeah, exciting. And uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see what their third chip will be like, considering <laughs> how absurd it is already. I, I don't I can't even imagine what we'll get next.
0: We're always looking at orders of magnitude larger, whether it be neural network parameters or transistors.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a lucky thing with, you know, the speed, of course, slowing down. Uh, GPUs came just in time and, and these sort of chips came just in time to continue the exponential rise of computing via parallelization, uh, which is pretty exciting. I think it, it was a little scary there for a little bit in terms of worrying that we might stop, you know, ridiculously expanding how fast stuff is. And on to our last article about uh, another area of AI and industry. We have this article from uh, WSJ about Walmart is pulling plug on more robots. So uh, this is about how uh, Walmart is phasing out uh, these automated pickup towers that were erected in more than 1,500 stores to dispense online orders. And uh, according to this article, that's because there's more focus on curbside pickup that has become more popular during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, also reflects retreat from generally initiatives to use very visible automation, you know, robots that are moving around stores. Uh, which includes um, these 17-foot-tall uh, machines that are placed at the front of stores. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, I guess not necessarily surprising. I think it's, it's uh, always been a bit questionable how useful robots in these sorts of uh, retail locations were. We also heard last year that uh, the company stopped using these IO roving inventory tracking robots made by uh, Bosa Nova Robotics uh, after finding that humans can do the same thing just as well. And I think we discussed that story. Um, yeah. So interesting development there, I think. Uh, what do you think, Sharon?
0: Not a hugely surprising trend, uh, unfortunately, for robots. Uh, I think a lot of these robots are just these huge things and um, operationally, you know, expensive there uh, where humans are a little bit more adaptive, flexible, and also just cheaper for the long tail of tasks. Uh, And just to be clear, the pickup towers, I'm not sure if I think of them as robots, actually, if if you take a picture of them, uh, they just look like vending machines for online orders, which they are, and they just hold your items until you go collect them. Um, So it's like a giant vending machine. Uh, So I I hesitate to say that this is a robot, but it is um, some type of technology that they did showcase and use for a bit. Um,
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's it's more like, you know, new technology that looks fancy and changes how things work in stores, um, which I guess I don't know that uh, things have changed too much in this space uh, over years with technology. It does remind me, of course, of uh, Amazon Go, this idea of...
0: I wanted it!
2: (laughs) I know, I know. That's such an exciting use of AI and uh, seems like something, you know, everyone would want. But uh, so far, you know, I guess it hasn't quite uh, expanded that much. Uh, Maybe over the next decade, it will become much more commonplace.
0: I mean that and this are a result also of COVID. You can't go inside. Amazon Go would have been an inside thing, and same with this. Um, but maybe it'll be here uh, in the coming years as COVID does uh, peter out. Hopefully, fingers crossed. And yeah, yeah exactly. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynetoday.com.
2: Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, And please don't forget to leave us a rating and a review if you like the show.
0: Be sure to tune in next week.
2: Be sure to tune in next week.